Welcome to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast by Dare to Dream, the show dedicated to fun, practical mental performance strategies for your golf game. Join mental performance coach Jamie Glazier and co-host Ross Flanagan as they discuss how to manage your mind in one of the craziest sports there is. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. Roscoe here, sitting in Melbourne in lockdown 4.0 and joined by two Queenslanders. Up there in Queensland, Jamie Glazer, as you always are, digitally opposite me, and our special guest today, Steve Jones. How are you, Steve? Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. How are you guys? Excellent. Thank you for joining us and on your day off. Jamie, you and What's Steve that? go back away, and I think this episode is going to be great because Steve, coming from his professional golf background, you know your relationship over such a long period of time, and you've seen you know Steve's golf and You've seen Steve's golf as a professional. You've seen Steve's golf now as a Mercedes-Benz uh, executive, uh, which is one yep. of the, my old passionate areas. But you've seen him play as a as a regular everyday golfer now. It's going to be great to unpack that. What are we What are we going to talk about uh, with Steve today? Jones and I go way back from uh, sort of you know two thousand and sort of seven ish around there. Started working together when he was uh, was a pro and. Um, obviously, you know, very talented golfer, uh, hits the ball a long way and we've played a bit of golf together the last couple of months up here in Queensland and, um, we just keep having the discussions and Jonesy, Jonesy just keeps bringing up these great points around looking back at his career as a professional and what he would do differently now, you know, that he knows what he knows. So I just thought it would be great to unpack some of his thoughts and associations around how he's playing golf now as a, uh, you know, as a Mercedes-Benz executive, he plays golf now for love and get out and, 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 and just enjoys the game. And what, well, how is that different mentally than what it was when he was playing for a living? So, yeah, Mo, I think there's so many things to unpack and uncover, especially for my elite golfers who are at that phase in their career that Jonesy was. So, Jonesy, talk a little bit about, I mean, obviously we worked together for quite some time before you quit the game, um, but talk a little bit about, you know, your, your, your relationship with the game back then, uh, mentally and, and expectations and all those sorts of things that we love to talk about. Yeah, well, um, I just wanted to comment first. Thanks for the intro, Roscoe. I, uh, I, when you said there used to be a tour pro and now I'm a, uh, I thought you were going to call me a, call me a chopper or something then, but you were too far off sometimes, but that was very diplomatic. So thanks for that. No problem. Um, I lost my train of thought, Jamie. What, what was your question again? Tell, tell us about tell us about your entry into the world of professional golf. You know, like I'm I'm kind of, yeah. quite keen to know a little bit about, more about that transition from you know amateur, elite amateur, professional golfer, and you know, and then we get into some of that stuff about you know. Yeah, what right. well, I mean, just to give my story a little bit of a little bit of context. I mean, harking back, I grew up in Geelong, I, in, on a farm outside of Geelong, and I, I just started playing just randomly with some friends. None of my family played golf. Um, I was always a bit of a hog when it came to um, team sports and I found golf was just a, what I had control over the whole time. So um, just used to grind out in the paddock at the front of my house and just, just play nonstop with, with juniors um, at the, the local public course I started at. Just developed a passion for it. Um, had support from my parents, which was, looking back, was just unbelievable. Um, and really appreciate it more now that I'm a father. So, um, and just was able to um, pick the game up pretty quickly, work my way through the ranks in Victoria, um, junior-wise, amateur-wise, probably culminating in 
2004, I think it was. I won the Vic Amateur there and um, a couple other events. And that was the year where I was, um, well, there is probably something I could do professionally. And I, I was in the Australian Student Sport Program shortly after that. Uh, and then pretty much turned pro when I was 21, just deciding that I didn't really. There was an opportunity you know, to be able to game it, not like there is these days. Or I found that I'd sort of tapped out what I could do. Um, there was no amateur world golf rankings and all that sort of stuff. So I decided just to bite the bullet and go to tour school and got through ninth, I think, the first first time I entered the Aussie tour school. And then went about sort of carving out a career with help from my folks financially early on and then just trying to play everything I could. Just loved the competition, loved the always willing and wanting to get better um, and had obviously some good support networks through all the people that I've met through AIS and Victorian VGA it was in, Victorian Golf Association. And just, yeah, I don't know, I just, just played as whatever I could, took opportunities wherever I could, managed to keep my card first year and then just go on with it um, a little bit and then sort of try to develop my game always, always non-stop. I was always trying to get better. My main goal was to improve every year, just get better every year. So whether that was results-wise or just felt like I was just improving as a, as a golfer every year uh, and I was just so one-dimensional in that regard. So I was always searching, sometimes back maybe searching too much but I was always driven to improve so and that got me you know point where God, I was able to get over the US place and mini tours you know one one of them and the US which was a, looking back was a highlight for me over there and and then you know had some good results in some big events in Australia top tens and stuff in sort of some of the main tour events um, but was never sort of really able to crack through when it win a big event and just always knew that it wasn't a physical thing for me. It was more, more of a, it was always a psychological, mental side. Uh, and that sort of led me to Jamie, I guess, at that point in my career. And we met, I think we met pretty randomly, actually, probably not even in that golf. It might have been some sort of um, environment that involved gambling and alcohol, probably. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, but then we, we just hit it up and got along well. And, and I felt like that was the gap in my game where, that I, I needed to realised that was where I needed to improve the most to go to take the next step. And I guess I went about trying to work on that. We worked together a lot, but I mean, it's such a tricky thing. I mean, you can talk about the, the mind and golf forever. You, you, you never have it, have it set. So it, it was always a work in progress. And um, yeah, I mean, when I got it right, physically I was probably as good as anyone that was playing the game. Sucks like a did and still can, but back then, you know, I, I would play with people in, Proams or whatever, and they would you know, they would ask me what the difference was between myself and you know golfers in the world, and I would say probably not much, just probably between years. So I think that a lot of guys at my level were, were at that point where what they went far off, um, but it was always about just kind of perform under pressure. So that was probably where my struggles were, and it's hard to admit that because that's you know putting stuff out there a fair bit. But I I was no, no doubt I was I could just be as well as anyone and doing anything for the golf ball like anyone could, but just the mental side of it was the side that I continually fought with and just getting out of my own way, I guess. So, But in saying that, like, I used to just train myself to the ground to be able to perform even when my mind wasn't 100%. So I was still able to get good results, but being able to win tournaments is a big difference for now to finish top 20. So I wasn't able to get over the line. And then, I mean, had a lot of things happen in my life that we won't get fully into today. But, you know, to succeed in any sport, you need things to align as well um, that are out of control. And that didn't necessarily happen for me um, at, at one point. You know, with my, my wife got 
got ill and um, and then things happened and just didn't quite time out for me, uh, I guess. But looking back at that, didn't work for my girlfriend. Made me a much better person. So it gave me a good perspective on life. But Steve, um, I might just ask Jamie a question now, and that's a great you know intro into you know that time of your life when you were, you know started your professional career and. You know, you mentioned you met Jamie and you had an interest in the mental game and, and you realised that that was probably a differentiator for you at that time. Jamie, I'll throw it back to you. You know, what is your recollection of that time when you met Steve? You know, you'd obviously knew him as a professional golfer and came together in some debaucherous occasion by the sound of things. But uh, in professionally, what happened after that? Well, I, I think... What um, did you think of me, Jamie? <laughs> Look, it was... It was... Uh, it was... Yeah, obviously it was a great chance meeting and... Uh, Professionally, we had a, we had a great relationship. Um, I think it was the first time in my professional career I had a professional relationship with someone, but also had a had a personal relationship, which was a difficult line to walk at times. But I think for me, you know, the, the thing I remember about Jonesy and anyone like Jonesy who is really talented, like we're talking top shelf talent, like anyone on the planet, top shelf talent. Their expectations are so high that it's just really difficult to manage. Their expectations of themselves, uh, they just don't accept anything that isn't that high, that that top shelf quality. Um, so he was really, really, really hard on himself. And, yeah, when he said when we got it right, boy, he was he was great. I remember one year we sort of we really put some great systems in place, some good processes in place around each and every round, you've just got to do A, B, and C, and let's let the results look after themselves. And he had a fantastic season. Um, I can't remember where you finished on the Order of Merit here in Australia, mate, but I think it was pretty deep into the top 20. Mm. Yeah, um, I think I finished 12th in 2012. Yeah, like, so, and, you know, he, he was really starting to gain some some great momentum um, in that in that part of the game. You know, for someone like Steve who does have those really high expectations. It can generally take a little bit longer to ingrain some of those cognitive patterns because of the expectation and harshness in being such a harsh critic. Well, generally, you know, he might take two steps forward, three steps back. So, um, but we started to get some really good momentum and, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was quite an exciting period for what he was, you know, potentially able to do. And as he mentioned there, you know, I mean, life, just in the line, and and then and, and Katie getting. I think, um, I think adding to that, that we put in a lot of processes in that year that, um, which came off the back of probably the worst slump of golf I'd had at the start of 2012. So, Steve, that was sort of what I was going. That. That's what I was going to ask. You know, is is there a time when you can sort of recollect? And one thing I've learned about talking to professional golfers, you know, they have this seem to have this unbelievable recollection of various times of things happening in their in their career moments on holes and recounting shots. Can you remember a time when you distinctly remember, you know, I've got to do something more mm. about my game other than just grinding mm. balls on the range till my fingers bleed? Yeah, I mean, I think this can help a lot of people as well because I, I, I recall the exact moments in my career that, you know, when you hit my crop bottom, I guess, but like that, I think it was May or April in 2012, I was, I was playing... Um, some of these four round primes that were running and just couldn't couldn't break seventy seven. Couldn't even just couldn't play the play the game at the time. And just so I remember that moment when I was in um, Northern Beaches, uh, might have been showing the waters or something like that. It was a tournament and I just it was just horrible. And I remember that moment and then I remember calling Jamie up and said, I'll just I'll either give it up or we've got to figure something out and then we come up with a plan and that was the moment. Like so for people who are struggling, 
Like that was my worst year and my best year. So that was the first four or five months of that year was the worst I've ever played golf. The last six months was the best probably I've ever played. So well, the last three months, but that was because of the pre- preceding three or four months. So um, you can go, you can turn it around quickly. You don't see it at the time, but you just have to do things daily. It doesn't turn around by chance. You just, you, and, and sometimes just practicing technique and grinding doesn't work. So we come up with some um, mental processes, which I did daily. Um, days I played and days I didn't play. Uh, I didn't play. Um, and then it was a lot of it was around um, my, my belief system and just getting confidence back as well. So, um, and then that, that, and that culminated in me being able to um, string together some really good results at the end of that year. So, um, that's important to, for people to know that if they're struggling, you got to take a step back almost and even just have some time off and think about the things that are really, you really need to do. Um, and then if you've got a team around you, which I was lucky enough to have, um, get that help and come up with a plan. And if you've got to work on things that are going to help you, real things are going to help you, not things that are just so. And that's a good thing to do. But then, sorry, leading on from that, like and that, the, the next part of that is I did all that, had good results. And then the next year I just thought I'm good to go now. I'm, I'm home in my career, like home is in, I'm, I'm on my way. Drops off, complacency sets in, which is human, human nature. Um, and you think you've got it, you, you, you start doing all the things that got you there. And then that, that, that hurt me badly. And then that, and then I was sort of, you know, went back the other way a bit. So that, that's another part of it, which you can talk about as well. But. Yeah. And I think that's a great thing that the Jones was saying about, you know, when you're struggling just to take a step back, you, you're generally a lot closer to breaking through and playing well than you think, especially these guys, because these guys have been building their golf game from a pretty early age. They're like they're like a you know a high performance race car. Um, there's so many different components that lead that car to perform at a high level. It's not always the engine. So you know their engine, they've been building that for years. Sometimes their engine is great, but the tires are worn or something else is limiting their ability to perform. So just taking that little bit of a step back and looking at it logically, not emotionally, which is difficult, but but then also I remember Jonesy, like we, we had the discussions around, okay, these are some things that we've spoken about in the past, but maybe your commitment to them wavered, was inconsistent, was up and down. And that year he completely committed 100% on a daily basis to all the different processes we put in place and he could feel the momentum building. He could see the momentum building. Um, and, you know, that was, you know, no reason that, that he had a really good year that year. So, um, you know, he talked about obviously the complacency that happens, which is human nature and, and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, I think, how do you think your relationship now being a being a, a recreational golfer, we talk about recreational golfer, uh, Roscoe, and he messaged me the other day and he goes, oh, I hit 18 greens in Reg at the Grand the other day, had a bogey-free whatever, and I'm like... Yeah, one of, yeah, those, like, one of those recreational golfers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he still can shoot five or six under yeah. with his eyes closed. But if you think about your attitude or mindset, relationship with your golf swing or with the game of golf now compared to back then, what are some of the things that you would take from the present moment and extract into into the younger Jonesy? Well, one thing I can think of very top of my head is that surprised me since I've stepped away from the game and played more um, than on, is if you've got any sort of reps under your belt, like I had, don't lose your general ability to hit shots and things like that like I thought would happen. You've got so, I've got so many years of practice under my belt, but those 
motor patterns are just so ingrained in my in my in my mind that not practicing for a period of time doesn't affect me like I thought it would when I was playing. So I mean, what I'm trying to say is, you can get into a, into a, into a rut when you when you're in it where you're like, if I don't practice today, I'm I'm going backwards, I'm going backwards, but and then end up focusing on the wrong things, which I'm always guilty of as well. So. Um, the reason I say that is because I go out there now and play and my mind is so free of any sort of expectation, any sort of technical thinking to, what, to do with what I'm doing because I'm, I'm not practicing. I'm playing once a week, um, twice a week. But I've got such a baseline, which I know it's, it's probably not that relatable to a lot of maybe handicap golfers who might um, be watching or listening because I, I had done so much work on my game. Um, but... Having the freedom of the of mind, like my freedom when I'm out there, makes my makes my motion a lot more fluid, and then it's, it just it's so much easier to let go. It has so many positive effects on my game now. So, and this is this is you know talking about Jonesy, who's what are you six foot seven or something? No, six four. I wish I was six seven. I'll be better at basketball. <laughs> I don't know if that would help, to be honest, uh, from the stories I hear. But um, you know. Big tall guy, long levers, very laggy swing. Like he, you know, when we play now, just his freedom and overall trust and commitment and just he's a lot freer golfer now than what he was when he technically should have been a lot freer because of the work he was putting in, the competency that he had back then versus now. But he's still seeing, you know, a really great benefit from having that freedom, even though his competency may not be anywhere near as good. Um, I think that's the, 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 the fact that my competency is not as good is far outweighed by how the freedom I have. And also, like when I when I hit a good shot now, my emotional reaction to a good shot is way outweighs my neg- negative reaction to a poor shot, which was when I was playing was complete opposite. Mm-hmm. So, because I had such, um, you know, such a will to want to improve, and such a, um, I guess I was so hard on myself that if I, it wasn't perfect, although I wasn't a perfectionist because I understood that, but I was really hard on myself. I hit a good shot. That's what I meant to do. Now I hit a good shot. Like in my follow through, I was playing the other day, and my follow through, oh, that was that was effing good shot. You know, I just verbally just said how good the shot was, and the guy was yeah. playing and was like, "Are you, you being sarcastic?" I'm like, "No, did you see that shot?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, things like yeah. that. It sounds a bit, bit, yeah. bit arrogant, but I'm, I love, like, the shots I hit now, and I don't really – I just discount the the poor shots, which is – you can find a bit of a middle ground when I was playing where I could be more like that. It's such a powerful um, – has so much uh, compounding sort of uh, interest on your, on your belief. Yeah, and I think, too, the, the great thing is where – you know, if this podcast is for anyone in the game of golf, it's for elite amateurs that want to sort of take take their game to the next level and for current pros who are still in that journey of, of, of achieving their goals. I think the thing is that I love what Jonesy was saying was the freedom, the trust. You, you put the work in. Your mechanics are fine. Don't go try and control them and think they're going to break down. Have a bit of faith in the work that you've done for years building that engine and just go out there and let it perform instead of having to consciously think about the five different components that make up a good swing. Um, but the other point that Jonesy was making and, and, and I'll, is a perfect example of this. We played at the Grand a while back 
and there is this par five down the hill. Um, and Jones is, I think he's got about eight iron in for his second shot. And he hits this ball straight over the pin. It's like, looks like it's going to go in the hole. Anyway, it never comes down and it goes over the fence behind the green out of bounds. Right, so he just drops another ball. We're laughing. Drops another ball, hits another shot, and hits exactly the same shot. This time, we're about fifteen feet, and then rolls the putt in for par. Um, but there was no negative emotional response to the one out of bounds. It was more of a laugh, and but he he, he had a positive attachment to the to the shot that went out of bounds as well. Mm. It, it helped him to hit a good shot when he had to when he had to take a drop. So. Um, yeah, I think there's definitely, we talk about that emotional attachment, the five to seven seconds after a golf shot, how important it is to, you know, attach positive emotion to good shots so that we can actually store those in the mind and, and, and help to create more of a, a sort of a stronger belief system. But um, what about your, yeah, I suppose I'll use the word fun or enjoyment you have for the game of golf now versus your enjoyment for the game back then? Yeah, well, I guess um, it's a lot different now because me, like I, I tell people now, like it's my my job I have now is highly highly stressful and you know, very um, intense sometimes. And I, I, I say now golf means a stress reliever, where it used to be a stress maker. Yeah. So now, I mean, that's a big big difference. I go out there, I go out to play golf now to relax. So I mean, anyone who plays the game competitively would, would be able to relate to that because it's not. Although it's fun when you're in a stressful environment, if you like that, uh, and if you're competitive, if you like that, it's. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's not stressful. So, but, um, but in saying that, like I like, I still like to go and play, you know, and go in the comp and have a little bit of pressure because I, I'll find um, if I go out and just play on my own or without scoring, I don't have the arousal level to be able to play well, and it just it, it just sort of bores me a bit. So I, I like going out and still having something to play for a little bit, yeah. um, but it is a lot less uh, intense, not relying on it. Um, and I just wish I could turn back the clock and be able to have even just half a, a portion of that mindset where it doesn't define me as a as a human being anymore. Which I think is the is the kicker. Like it, the the game, I'm not the, I'm not Steve Jones, the golfer anymore. I'm just Steve Jones. I'm a person. I play golf pretty well still, but that's not, I don't get a bad shot and think I'm a bad person. So it's something that I think a lot of elite players are guilty of sometimes. You, you get a persona around who you are and what you know, what you do. I mean, they, and they don't, they sometimes, they're, they're not, um, they're not individual entities. They're too mixed. So I you know, have a bad tournament. All of a sudden I'm, you know, I'm a failure. I'm, I'm not, this is meant to be me being good at this game, and I'm not. So I'm, a, I'm not a good person, which is just a really dangerous mental space to get into. Um, and I'm at the moment, it's just I go and play, it's fun. I don't, I don't judge myself if I don't play well, um, and I move on. And then, but that, that from the bottom of the pyramid, if you, if you like, just causes so many good, good things when I go play. And I'm surprised. I'm really been surprised at how well I can still play. So that attitude when I go to the golf course. So, um, yeah. I, lo- I mean, I love, I love what you just said there about the, the, the bottom of the pyramid, you know, like having that outlook on golf, that relationship with golf, you still like pressure, but you've got a different perspective around it and also a different pers- perspective around what it means about you 
having that result or not having that result, like it doesn't mean anything about you as a person professionally or personally, um, when we have that perspective, it, it just feeds so many other really powerful cognitive patterns and, um, uh, you know, I think that's that's really, really important. And, and as you say, when you're a professional golfer, you put so much identity around what you shot and how you finished in a tournament or your family and friends are watching and supporting and, you know, I'm a, you know, my son's a professional golfer and all this sort of stuff is just – it can build up so much stuff that um, a lot of young professional golfers maybe don't realise. They feel pressure and stress, but they don't they don't recognise that it is that build up of. And I think like when, I, when I was, from my experience and where I am now, like I think that the, your your world is important, and it is to you. But it's not you're not if you get a bit of perspective around. No one cares really about you apart from um, the amount of people that are on your hand. Probably yeah. half a dozen people that actually care about you. Yeah. Um, but once you realise that you don't mean much in the whole grand scheme of things, like I thought I was, if I didn't shoot a good score, everyone would know about it and be the end of the world sort of thing. But yeah, once you get your head around no one cares about you, then you don't, you don't care as much. We, I, I've really seen that the last sort of couple of years. I've been looking into a lot of, lot of things. And I just feel like that perspective, it sounds harsh, but if you go out there and think that, Worlds on your shoulders, and you've got to you've got to take care of your family, and you can go and disappoint people. That's just too much. Now, how are you going to execute a, 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 a drive down a hole with OB left, uh, water on the right? You've got to hit a good drive, falling uh, on the line. You just can't fill it with that much that much um, space being held up in your subconscious. It's just not that's it's not possible. So, having that perspective on your life, and even having something else like I wish I had a um, I had other, another interest, maybe and things like that. But I, I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying I regret not doing other things when I was younger because I was so determined and so one-sided, which I think you have to be that way as well to be a leader or something. Yeah. But um, I, if I was a guy coming up now, like, and I had another interest in doing something, I would. I'd, I'd encourage someone to, to try other things while they do that because you've got, you know, you've got more time than what you think as well, which is a completely different subject. But I mean. Now that I work 70, 80 hours a week sometimes, like I know how much time I used to waste and what I could have done. So, but, you know, that's a whole different um, subject for a different day. So, For sure. Um, you said one thing there that I think it could, it could be possibly one of the most powerful statements we will say on this podcast in its first 100 episodes, Roscoe. Um, I think about all the time I spend with my elite clients and we talk about the worry or concern around what other people think. And the one thing Jonesy said there, when you get your head around the fact that no one cares about you, like the, the, the five people in your team, there they care, but they're there. You don't worry about what they think of you because you know they're there to back you and support you. But the weight is on all these other people. You're worried about what they think of you having that attitude that they don't care, no one cares about you, they couldn't give a shit if you shoot 80 or 60. You, if you shoot 60, you're going to be someone of a topic of discussion for seven seconds until something else pops up in the news. I think that is such a powerful statement and will take so much weight off people's shoulders if they can actually process that. I think that was awesome, mate. That was... Mm-hmm. And, and, and think about the, the only way you can get on the mainstream news or radio is if you've been a major as a golfer in Australia. So wrap your head around that. 
if you try yeah. to think about it, if you think you're important. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then if you get it, you get into the workforce and you get into actual business, which I, which I am in now, um, you know, golf's a massive industry. And when you're in it, you think it's something, but there's, I mean, the world's a big place and there's a lot of things happening. And, and I don't so I don't bring this up in a, in, in a negative sort of with a negative connotation. It's just a, it's just a good way to help guys and girls who are trying to be good get some perspective and just think, you know what, I'm just going to play and I'm going to do it for myself. And then, you know, like I win a big tournament, I'm going to be happy, but the next week, move on. Yeah. So the whole world moves on and no, no one, you know, if you just think yeah. no one cares, then you care a little bit less, then you, you're on the road to letting your uh, your ability come out, I guess, which, I mean, I, I can speak from experience because I, I, I was always felt like I was holding myself back because I felt like I was more important than I was, so... Mate, that's yeah. I, I don't even know what to say after that. Like, you know, you felt like you were more important than what you were, and and then you know the worry, the pressure that you put on yourself, and all. I mean, that that's just phenomenal. I think that uh, you know we look at the post that we made in the private Facebook group the other day about Naomi Osaka and how her anxiety isn't around um, isn't around her worrying about herself or her anxiety is not worrying about what her parents or family or coaches think. Her anxiety is around the rest of the world, what they perceive, what they think. Um, so I think if anyone listening, if you can really take that and go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that mindset of no one gives a shit about me and I'm not going to care about what those other people think of me, then there's freedom right there in, in a heartbeat. And I think that's, probably some of the most powerful freedom you can have um, as an elite athlete. So, um, I mean, most, most people just, uh, I mean, you, you have issues with, with judgment when, when, when you're insecure in what, what you're doing. So, I mean, when, you, when you, you're worried about what everyone else thinks about you, like, I mean, just the, that, that simple fact of just realising that not many people actually care about you as, you know, there's a handful of people. Why do you, why do you care about what they think? So, you know, and that can be that can be an enemy, not just not just in golf. So I don't know. I mean, that's a pretty um, you, you can get we can get down a rabbit hole with that um, where that can lead as well. But yeah, I think it's pretty powerful to, to just just have some like, grand sort of broad realizations about what the world is like and what what people are like in general, and just gives you makes makes you more self aware of what what you're doing. And uh, I think it's um, pretty powerful. I agree. Yeah, I was. You you just reminded me and brought up uh, so many things from my you know career. So we share some interesting career because you know as you you know I was twelve years at Mercedes Benz head office and you know my shtick there my you know golf identity and my career identity was I was the golf guy and you know I made half a half a career out of taking golf uh, training events to golf courses. You know we had training at the lakes, we had training at Hyatt Cool, and we had training at the Vintage. So that was my stick, and people knew me as the golf guy. And how was your golf for us? Oh, no, 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 good. And once I realised they didn't give a shit, <laughs> they really yeah. didn't care about my golf. And, and uh, it, it just reminded me of that, and I wish I would have been clearer and had more clarity around, around that back then. You know, I was just trying to, trying to have some fun with some great people, great cars and great places and, uh, and combine it all. But I thought that people cared about my, my golf because I was the golf guy. But no, not really. They didn't care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's good to have, it's good to have an identity. And be uh, known for things, but 
I think it, it, it's all between. It's all about what you think about yourself. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can't control what other people you know think about you. And if you do a lot of things to do with golf, people will know you like that. But it's how you perceive yourself. Like I, I, I mean, growing up, none of my family played golf, so I'm the I'm the guy who played golf. So then for me, like I've got all this you know, input telling me how good I am and how and how much you know, I'm a golfer, and then that's that. It can't help but be your identity. So I mean, having that maturity and young is difficult. That's why. I look back on guys that are young that have made it that I grew up with. And they, they're always way ahead of the game with maturity and how they thought about things. So and you don't realise that at the time, but it's only minor things. But having that perspective and knowing that's pretty, pretty important. Who are some of those people, if you're happy to you know call a couple out, that are still in the professional ranks? Yeah, I, mean, that- I, I, I played a lot with, with, Mark, with Mark Leishman growing up. We were both in the country. Um it's more I'm from Geelong, but we played, you know, happy leagues and, um, and Dick Jr. And you always just beat me, I'll come second, which sucked. But um, <laughs> yeah, he was so talented, but he was always so um, just laid back. And just looking back now, he just knew he just knew what he was doing and, and he, he did back himself and he was, um, didn't, didn't take anything too seriously. So, but also, I mean, Jason Day was another one that I, he was a bit younger than me, but I had a bit of golf with him. And you could just tell he was always so determined and he was he was a lot more mature than other people his age and he was just on path. So um, that were the two that I probably had the most to do with. Like, I've got a bit older than me and for the other guys I'm from different states and things that I didn't really have a lot to do with. I was, I was very, like, about myself. I didn't, I didn't really um, go about, like, not a sport where you make a lot of friends, like what people say. Um, but they, they're the two that probably stand out that I, I grew up with that, that have obviously have done great things since since and still are. So, um, yeah, but that, there was just a couple of little things that I, I, I got from those two guys. So I, I suppose now we look at, you know, how long have you been sort of, firstly, how long have you been out of the game and, and, and working? You've been working for Mercedes-Benz for a while. And then secondly, we're really big in like understanding the game of golf and what it can teach us about ourselves and how it can help us in our life outside of golf, in our professional life, in our personal life. Well, what skill sets do you think you took from the game of golf as a professional transferred into your life in the business world? Um, and how do you see, what role do you see golf playing in your life now um, that helps you as an individual that can function in all those other areas? Well, I mean, I decided about three, uh, sort of early 2018. Yep. So I was going to, um, you know, maybe go down a different path. And I mean, that's not something that was easy um, to decide because it's that's given up your whole life's work to... Um, just start from scratch. So, I mean, to be able to have the humility to do that is something I'm really proud of now. I mean, it was out of necessity, um, you know, finances and things like that, and um, a couple other things. But still, I could have, I could have stayed in the golf industry, battled along, um, kept my ego up there because I'm, you know, you're a pro. Um, people think you're successful because you know, when you're a pro am or whatever. But I decided that that I had to just do something else. So. Um, I was lucky enough to get a get a job as a sales trainee, I guess, and, and 
um, in May 2018 um, at Mercedes-Benz in the Gold Coast. And then I think um, it was hard because I hadn't had a, any sort of full-time job or anything. I'd always only worked myself, didn't have any structure around anything. And having that structure actually helped me because it was gave me um, set times and things to do and things like that. But um, where I, I mean, and then from there, I sort of worked my way up and, um, you know, sold the moat, you know, became quite successful at selling for the first couple of years, you know, won a couple of awards off the stage bands um, and now sort of worked my way up to sales manager status in three years. So that was a pretty pretty big rise from from the start to where I am now. Yeah. So I'm proud, I'm proud that I've been able to do that. But, I mean, just back to what one of your other questions, like I think where I came, what I learned from golf has helped me a lot is guys underestimate when you when – you, just having the attitude of I want to get better every day and I want to be good at whatever I do. See, my, I realised recently that my biggest thing is I um, don't like being bad at things. So that's a bit of a flip on I want to be good, but I can't stand being inadequate. Um, and I don't know what that means from a psychologist's point of view, but I don't, I don't want to know. But <laughs> I, if I'm not good at selling, I'll do anything I can to be, be, be better at it and, and, and excel. Um and I and I think just having that attitude of wanting to be better just sets you so much apart in in the in the general population. Um, and I had that drive to be better at that. And then and there's moments along the, the lines there when I was working there in sales where I realised that it was a game and it was something you could be good at. Mm. And once I realised that, I was just like, oh, I'm I'm going to be the best at this because I know oh, there's things I can do like golf. I can go there and practice. Um, and Things I've got from golf, from having that mindset of excellence, I guess. Um, yeah, it's kind of like that. But I, um, you know, just wanting to be better is you're already sort of you're on your way, um, and you've got to be massively resilient in in any sport to to make it. Um, so resilience is a huge thing that I that I got. You know, being able to deal with the losses and, and move on. Um, and just a little work ethic. Um, the work ethic that you, you have to, to have in any sport would be good. Um, so I think the main things would be resilience and, work, and, and the work ethic and just the overall mindset of growth and, and wanting to improve. So that was where I am. Um, and for me, like my personality trait is very disagreeable with things. So I like to always question what's happening. And, and I used to do that with myself. And then when you're in, when I now that's actually helped me in business, despite the fact that I've probably annoyed a lot of people along the way. But being disagreeable and always questioning things and questioning the status quo, why do we do that? Why do we do that? Like, because that's my way of learning. Like, if, if I don't understand why you're asking me to do something, just in a in a, in a hierarchical sort of um, organization, I would question my my you know my superior. Why do I have to do that? I'm not doing something unless I. And that came with a bit of a chip on my shoulder, which is probably not ideal, but. If I don't know why, it didn't. I wanted to know reasons, so then I could learn. Okay, all right, now I can come up with my own strategy. So I think that's where I, where me, I personally became quite successful at what I'm doing now in a short period of time because I, I bought those sort of traits that I had in my personality that I developed through golf and through, um, you know, getting to where I got to with golf. Um, and I think that yeah, all, I mean, probably a lot of other things, but that's sort of what I can come up with off the top of my head. Steve, so. <laughs> Do you have a couple of um, team members that report to you in the pre-owned team at the golf? Yeah, I've got two guys now that report directly to me. Yeah. So, in in learning more about yourself and how you 
understand process and and work out the stuff that you've gone through has that helped you be a better leader and a better manager with those guys yeah well i mean that the, the management side and the, the leadership side is something new to me because i've always stuff myself mm. so and it's been really interesting and actually really rewarding to to help guys with um things that i take for granted things that i do daily to help them not just for their selling but in their lives like one of the guys um he's having a, he's having a tough time of it the moment um, outside of the dealership and I'm helping him with ways to, to work on, you know, things like sometimes if, you, if you're struggling and you can't sleep, get up and go for a walk and just let your mind think and do some meditation and things like that. And he's, he's had some good results from that and then, you know, just little things like that where I'm giving guys ideas about how to, how to help themselves. Um, it's actually, it's really re- re- more rewarding than what I ever thought it would be because you know, helping, I'm helping them um, like I used to try and help myself. So, um, it's interesting, but it's just a tip of the iceberg for me. It's only just sort of started mining. It's just started on that path. So, yeah. Well, obviously, that your your progression to management, and you know, having been in that environment and, and seeing, uh, you know, we used to have guys at Mercedes Benz that were pre-owned managers for twenty years. You know, they've been there for forever and a long mm-hmm. time. And your progression is very rapid. Um, but I could only imagine that those experiences that you had on the golf course, the learnings, if you just flip that into helping you know, guide your guys that um, and girls, that's going to be a very, very valuable skill in leading a group of people to what the business needs and, and selling, you know, ultimately keeping customers happy and selling yeah, more cars right. and, and, and keeping them happy. So a lot of transferable Roscoe, skills. Sorry, go on. I think Roscoe too, you know, Jonesy said something there and he sort of, he paused a bit and backed up a bit because he probably thought he might sound like a bit of a knob, but um, he spoke about having a mindset of excellence. Now, for, for us on this podcast, the whole mental mastery, you know, I call it a champion's mindset with the clients I work with. Whether you're a, whether you're a one or two marker or a 25 marker, you can still have an, a, a mindset of excellence and a mindset for excellence with the way that you go about your day-to-day uh, actions and behaviours. Um, and I think that's a passion of ours and what we're trying to help people understand is just because you're a 20 marker doesn't mean you shouldn't have that mindset of wanting to become the best 20 marker you can become. Mm. You know, it's, it's about paying attention to those small daily actions and behaviors that set that benchmark for excellence. And, um, you know, I think that that's the great thing about golf and golf development is you can access that mindset, but then you can transfer that mindset into your work role, into your relationships, into your, your parenting, whatever aspect, you know, it is in your life, you can certainly transfer some of those skill sets. And I think that's what the, the game of golf teaches us. It teaches us that acceptance for things and like yeah, so many I, other I things. Think, I think where a lot of people, a lot of um, people that I've seen get it a bit wrong is they, they, you hear the words like um, excellence and you know, um, elite performers and they think of, you know, Roger Federer's and those guys winning big events. But like to me, it's more important like, if I'm going to unpack the dishwasher, I'm going to do it as good as I can. Things like that. Like if you if you, if you have that mindset around daily things, um, so you go to work. Again, I, I got to I got to work my first year early and opened up opened up the, the yard every day as best as I could. Like little things like that. Like if you that's that's more about excellence is more about little things over time um, done done well a lot a lot. You know, and always wanting to. The, um, have that attention to detail. So I think it, it, those words get a bit intimidating for some people, but mm-hmm. break it down. Um, okay, this is what I've got to do today to get a little bit better to, for tomorrow. And then, you know, life's a long journey. So you you, uh, you don't have to be, uh, 
we're very instantly gratified these days, whereas you've got to sort of have a bit of patience sometimes and say, okay, because to me, like, I look back and three years, my experience with Mercedes is, is a short period of time in my life. I lived 90, hopefully, 100. Three years is not long, but three years ago, you would have said three years from now, that's forever. I'm like, that's ridiculous amount of time. But, you know, it's not that amount of time. Three years is not that long a time to be able to achieve what I've achieved. So, I mean, it's, it is doable with, with the right sort of um, work yeah. ethic and mindset, I guess. So. Yeah, and I think, you know, what you spoke about, about, you know, that, that mindset of excellence is just one or two small things, like, but you're going to do them, you're going to do them well. Even things that might seem insignificant, like unstacking the dishwasher or making the bed or whatever it might be, but you're just taking the pride in what you're doing and then that's going to, you know, directly transfer. So um, so I think that's uh, I think that's great. Now, I suppose one thing, the last sort of few rounds of golf we've, we've played, I suppose I'm sensing this little bit of a bug to possibly get back into a little bit of competition to see if you can transfer this mindset into a competitive realm. Is that something that's been floating around? Yeah, I've started to think about that the last few weeks, actually. But I want to, I'm just curious to see what it would, what it would be like and if I could do it. Um, when I say if I could do it, if I could carry my mindset that I've got now into something that meant a little bit more. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, I'm a bit, I'm a bit pained. Um, yeah. I think oh, one thing I've realised now with, with my golf is the things that I would, if I was going to start putting a practice plan into place, it would be so heavily revolved around just inside 80 metres um, and then maybe it would be 90% that and, and focusing on um, some mental things to, to help me perform better and just leave my swing completely out of the, out of the equation for now. Yeah. Um, so that, I've got a bit more perspective on what, what's important around that sort of stuff. But I, I'm pretty keen to see. I might I try and play the odd pro-am later this year and um, yeah. see what happens. But, I mean, it's one of those things. I wouldn't, wouldn't do it to no, – I'm just a bit scared because I don't want to – I don't want to get back to what like how I felt about golf before I stopped playing because that was yeah. just a really yeah. bad place I was in. So, But I, I'm – I'm not, I'm not afraid to try, and I, I think it'll be exciting. So. Well, I think, Roscoe, that sounds like there might be some future episodes with Jonesy, um, possibly a week or so prior to or a few days prior to a pro-am that he might enter, and then maybe a few days after he plays a pro-am that he might enter. Um, <laughs> I'll use the word might, so there is that little bit of flexibility there. But, uh, no, mate, I think, you know, um, having you on today has been been fantastic. It's You've provided so many really important nuggets for young golfers and, and professional golfers to to just sit back and think about, am I falling into a similar pattern and can I just tweak this or tweak that to help free me up a little bit? Um, and, uh, yeah, mate, it's uh, it's been fantastic. So, Roscoe, I'm not sure if you have anything else you want to ask the great man. No, mate, it's been fantastic. And, you know, thanks very much, Steve. Um, you know, you've... you've uh 
brought back some memories for me of you know, my time and uh, and I appreciate that and you know time watching you as a golfer when you came back into the game when you were in the game of golf and I'm a bit older than you but uh, I remember those times and just talking about a little bit of Mercedes stuff always gets me a little bit tingly because it was a wonderful time of my life and I got some great experiences out of that as you're having now and you're doing really well from all the people that uh, I still talk to um, they hold you in the highest regard so um, well done on that Thanks for being such a great contributor today on the podcast and being so open and honest. Uh, that is always appreciated. Love that. And also in the Mental Mastery uh, private Facebook group, you know, you're always very positive and very um, willing contributor there and people do do value that. And now, you know, this puts a little bit of a, a voice to some of those uh, contributions that you've made. So really do appreciate it on all fronts. Thank you. Thanks, boys. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to catching up next week for hitting taking your money with my new Honmar blades. Oh, Jeepers. Can you you believe it? Can you you believe these pictures that you're seeing? Uh, They do. Come on, people. They do look very nice. Just believe in me. Just believe in me one time. I believe. I am am full believer here. But uh, they look beautiful, those clubs. But um, what are they numbered? One to ten? Three to ten. Three to ten. No, I wouldn't be that silly. Three enough, three iron silly. What did, one of our, what, did, what did one of our other mates say of the day? You should be getting one more blaze. You should be getting great big berthas. Oh. Yeah. yeah that, <laughs> I think I've had three people talk to me about big berthas. I have seen you hit some quality golf shots, and I know it's only just ahead of you, mate. It's all ahead of you, mate. Keep keep all grinding. Right. Keep keep doing keep doing the right things. Keep, all right. Keep keep an update for uh, Jones's money in my hand on Instagram. Just. Uh, <laughs> So this be the money I'm giving your money I'm giving back to you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, very good. So, yeah. Thanks, right, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks for listening, guys. and uh, we look forward to catching up with everyone on the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast next time. Jump over to Insight Golf Academy, do the Mental Game Must Do's course. It's free. It's still there. Loving the support and the uh, feedback we get from that, and uh, and we'll keep doing what we're doing. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast by Dare to Dream. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and head over to daretodream.com.au for exclusive access to the free video program, 8 Tips to an Unbreakable Mental Game. Join us next time on the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast.